The Nationals are back home, and Walters is the place to be. Swing by before the game for a cold one, or come afterwards to catch late-night NBA playoffs. Head over to waltersdc.com slash reservations to secure your reservation for this week. Saturday, UFC 263 will be shown on Walters' massive TV, so make sure you plan to stick around after the Nationals game. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the pitch swung on, hit deep to left field by Zimmerman. This one way back. Warning track at the wall, goes Meadows, it is gone, goodbye. Bang, zoom goes the Z-Man for the second time tonight. A solo homer to tie, now a two-run homer to give the Nationals the lead. Home run number eight on a hanging breaking ball. And the Nationals lead for the first time since the first inning. It's now Washington five and Tampa Bay three. Here's the pitch to Starling Castro, belted to left, down the line, toward the corner, and off the wall and in play. Mercer around thirds, coming in to score. The throw to second, the slide, the tag. It's not in time. Starling Castro hunting a first pitch from Diego Castillo with a go-ahead run-scoring double in the 11th inning. And the Nationals are back in front. It's Washington 8 and Tampa Bay 7. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, June 10th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. It was a wild game. It was a lengthy game, but it was a Nationals victory, even though the Nats tried their darndest to make it another loss. The Nationals blowing a 5-3 seventh inning lead, a 7-5 tenth inning lead, but the Nationals ultimately win. The boys battled, and the boys are victorious. 9-7, 11 inning victory at the American League leading Tampa Bay Rays on Wednesday night for a two-game split in the series. Just the fourth victory in 13 games for the Nats. A game that took four hours, 19 minutes. We could probably write a book about this game, although I'm not sure, Mark, that many people would want to read a book about this game. How are you? I'm exhausted, Al, is how I am. I hope people will at least take the time to read my game story because (laughs) writing that on deadline, trying to finish that and rewriting and repositioning where everything was going, I was just totally exhausted writing that story. I can't even imagine what it was like for everyone there playing in the game or managing the game because that was a true roller coaster. You're glad they came out on top of it because that's like if you lose that game after all that and now you got to get on a plane and come home and arrive at four in the morning 
that's a miserable plane ride home. So if nothing else, they're going to feel good about themselves. Good for them. They closed out a tough road trip with a, an impressive win over a really good team. But man, that took every ounce of everything they had to pull that one out. Yeah. And you know, that's kind of the feeling I'm left with off this game. It's great that the Nats won, but in some ways it's like another confirmation that this just isn't a very good team. They had to exhaust themselves to win this game. It took every fiber in their being to win this game and they nearly blew the game. I mean, just watching the bullpen as the game went on and Daniel Hudson and Brad Hand, and it's like, these are your two best relievers and they are just on fumes. It feels like this bullpen I mean, it's incredible to me. The Nats had the off day just two days ago, and here we are now just two games off the off day, and the bullpen is back to being maximized here. All of these relievers are being used in all of these games. The starters not named Scherzer refuse to eat up innings. I just don't know how the Nats can keep doing this. You know, yes, the Nats won, but it's not the kind of game that makes you feel like, okay, great things are ahead. It's the kind of game that makes you feel like, good God, it takes all that just to get a win these days, huh? Brad Hand and Daniel Hudson combined to throw three and two-thirds innings this game, and they threw a combined 75 pitches. Oh, oh. Those are your two late-hitting relievers. They should be combining for about 30 pitches in a game. They combined for 75, and they're going to need at least one, if not multiple days off. Now, those were the only two guys in the pen who were fresh. They had both had four consecutive days off. So I think that's why Davey felt like he could push them a little bit. But pushing Brad Hand to 44 pitches, the most he had thrown in any game in five years, I thought was a bit reckless. I understand the scenario we're in. Some other guys were not available, but wow, that took a lot out of them. And just what you hope is that in that effort just to do whatever you had to do to try to win this game, you didn't cause any long-lasting damage, either because of them not being available for a few days or even worse, that they get hurt or that they're going to be ineffective for a while because of that kind of workload. Patrick Corbin only lasted five innings. I know he was better after that wretched bottom of the first, but that still was a wretched bottom of the first. Davey ends up using in the game four Nationals relievers. They combined to allow four runs, three earned in six innings. Another game in which the bullpen gives up a run or more. Another game in which way too much is asked to this bullpen. Six innings. I mean, I know it was an 11-inning game. And, you know, Davey's trying to push some other people. Like, I look at like what happened with Kyle Finnegan. So he ultimately gives up a run in one in the third innings. Actually looks sharp and tossing a perfect bottom of the sixth, couple of strikeouts, is allowed to begin the bottom of the seventh despite Daniel Hudson warming up, and the decision does not work out. Finnegan gives up a leadoff homer to Taylor Wolves, then records a very loud out on a very deep flyout by Brett Phillips, the center fielder, Victor Robles. So it's like Davey was trying to get some mileage out of Finnegan, and Finnegan wasn't up to the task, so he has to go to Hudson. Hudson gets the final two outs in the bottom of the seventh and retiring two of the three batters he faces. But then come the problems. Bottom of the eighth gives up the game-tying one-out pinch solo homer to Joey Wendell. So for Hudson, it's a run in one and two-thirds innings. Then Brad Hand comes on, throws a million pitches, two runs, one earned in two innings. Tanner Rainey, thank God, tossed that scoreless bottom of the 11th, although even that inning wasn't clean. I mean, I think we're all going to go nuts if Rainey gave up a run or more. Uh, in that inning. But yeah, like, I don't know what you're supposed to do if you're Davey. Like, you, you want to win these games, but your pitchers, your starters are not putting you in a position to win games. And so you routinely are having to lean on your bullpen. And the bullpen just isn't up to the test. This is not a great bullpen. It was pitching well for a while. 
it's not a great bullpen at this point. This is a mediocre bullpen to me this season, and we're certainly seeing that these last few weeks. It really makes you appreciate what the Rays do because yeah. they are only asking for three, four innings out of their starters often and going to their bullpen, and they just have, what, seven, eight guys they can trust. Going into this game, they had collectively thrown 18 consecutive scoreless innings as a bullpen. Now, they wound up losing it, so maybe for everyone, eventually it comes back to get you. But unless you have that kind of depth, you have to get innings from your starters, and that continues to be a problem for the Nationals. And you could see it just building up over the course of this road trip where you finally got to the last day of it. And yes, Hudson and Hand were fresh, but nobody else was. And to get through this game, they needed more than that. And look, they got through it, okay? Let's give Tanner Rainey some props here, okay? The guy comes in with an ERA almost of 10, and all of a sudden he's thrown into the bottom of the 11th with a two-run lead and asked to record the first save of his career. And he's asked to do it with a runner already placed on second base that he had no responsibility for, where now one pitch can blow the save and and tie the game again. And it's why I hate the automatic runner. I don't think a team should lose a game. I don't think a pitcher should lose a game essentially without making a mistake. That's if it's only one run or if it's a tie game that happens. Obviously, two runs, it would require more than that. But props to him. He delivered. He came through. And as we interviewed him afterwards, you could tell what this meant for him to get the job done. But even more than that, the fact that Davey Martinez trusted him to pitch in that spot. Now, maybe he only trusted him because nobody else was available at this point, because I think Suero was out and Clay was out. And obviously, he had already used Hudson Hand and Finnegan. But in Tanner Rainey's mind... (laughs) His manager had faith in him in a safe situation, and maybe that will do something for his confidence now moving forward. Yeah, I think that was much more necessity than that was faith. <laughs> but good for Rainey for doing that. I mean, I hope he gets on track this year. It obviously has not been a very good year so far, and it's turning into a not very good year for Daniel Hudson. Understand now, Daniel Hudson, over his last five appearances, has allowed five runs in six into third innings, and even that doesn't tell the whole story Because if you go back to what happened a week ago Wednesday night, June 2nd, Hudson in that 5-3 win at Atlanta allowed two inherited runners to score in the bottom of the seventh of that game. He has really come back down to earth. He is not the dominant reliever we saw earlier this year. And I don't blame him for that. A lot has been asked of him. Uh, I think too much has been asked of him. And cracks in the foundation clearly have started to show. We'll get to the offense in a bit here. But while we're talking pitching, Patrick Corbin. Another disappointing outing. And, and you know, I, I don't care that he pitched well as the outing went on. Like, good for him. It still isn't good enough. This isn't what he's here to do. Three runs in five innings. Like, I'm not going to celebrate that with this guy. He throws 93 pitches. How about the strikes versus balls ratio? 50 strikes versus 43 balls. 43 balls on 93 pitches for Corbin in this game. That bottom of the first was such a mess. Three runs records just one out in the game. He then does settle down, yes, four and two-thirds scoreless innings the rest of the game, but he begins the game by issuing three straight walks. I mean, you wanted to scream watching this, and if you go back and look at the particulars of the three walks, 15 total pitches, 12 balls. These plate appearances weren't competitive from Corbin's standpoint. Then he gives up the bases loaded two-run single to Randy Arozarena, then an RBI sack fly by Mike Bras. So things got better, yes, but it's not good enough. Six years, $140 million. It's not good enough. Patrick Corbin's ERA now on the year, 621 over 12 starts. And he's not consuming innings. And again, Davey has to lean on the bullpen a ton. And it's not like this is the first time we've seen him struggle with that, especially in the first inning. If you remember back to game one in 2019 at Dodger Stadium, 
coming off the high of the wild card win. And Corbin gets the ball for game one because both Scherzer and Strasburg had to pitch in the wild card game. And he did a similar thing. He he walked the bases loaded. He may have even walked in a run in that inning, if I remember right. So it's not unusual for this to happen to him where he just loses all semblance of control. And Davey talked about how he thinks he tends to speed up in those moments and he needs to slow things down. Obviously, once he gets through that one disastrous inning, he is able to somehow slow things down and settle in, but you can't make a habit out of this. You've got to be better than that. Here's the stat from his start that stood out to me most. And this tells you a lot about what's going on with Patrick Corbin right now. His bread and butter pitch is the slider. That's how he gets out. It's the reason he got the contract he did. It's the reason he was so successful in 2019. Well, he threw 30 of them in this game. Only 10 of them were strikes. That doesn't even mean 10 of them in the strike zone. That means 10 of them were either called or swung at strikes. That's a terrible percentage. Now, he doesn't typically try to throw that pitch in the strike zone. He tries to make it look like it's going to be a strike and have it break down and in towards the right-handed batter's foot. But what it tells you is that the batters are picking up on it. They see that pitch. They know what it is. They know he doesn't throw it over the plate, and they're just taking it for balls. That is really troubling because that is his path to success. And if they're detecting the slider that easily and not biting on it, I don't know what hope he has. Right now, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of hope. I mentioned his ERA being 621. It actually went down with this outing. He allowed three runs in five innings, and his ERA went down. Just to put it in perspective, the kind of season that Corbin's having. Way too many walks issued, too, by Nats pitchers over these two games. 15 walks over the two games. Now, the Rays are an excellent team. The Rays have a process that is just in another universe with the way Tampa Bay does as it does. But 15 walks, and I saw you note this on Twitter, it felt like every time the Nats issued a walk, the guy ended up scoring in this series. Yeah, it was uh, five of the first six runs that scored were uh, guys who had reached on walk. Now, after that, it was the home run that killed him the rest of the way, and then the extra inning triple. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's a reason that managers lose their hair over walks because it is true. You're just giving them runs ultimately. You need to make them earn it. And especially in today's game where it's hard to get a hit in Major League Baseball in 2021, it's not easy. It's especially hard to string rallies together. Don't just give them free passes, make them earn it. And we saw it the other day in Philly in that really long, ugly game where the bullpen had to pitch a lot. We certainly saw it in this game too. Make them earn it, throw the ball over the plate. If you give up hits, they can live with that. Don't just give them free bases. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so we have all had that dream. Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than just one shot to swing for the fences. That's because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. You heard that right. New users get up to $1,000 back inside credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back inside credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same-game parlay and always-on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. All you have to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. And games on Thursday night include Colorado at Miami at 7-10. Starting for the Marlins, Trevor Rogers, the reigning two-time National League Rookie of the Month. He has an ERA of 197. Marlins certainly look like the play. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT-INDIANA. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Now the set of the 2-1 to Soto, swung on and driven to deep center field. This is way back, looking up Phillips, and this one is gone goodbye, right over the 404-foot marker, and hit the batter's eye and bounced back down on the field. Bang, zoom, goes Soto, with a blast to straightaway center for his eighth home run of the year, Well, the Nationals did win the game. It's a win that in so many ways did not feel like a win, but it was a win. 9-7 in 11 innings, and the Nats offense was awake for a good chunk of this game. That was nice to see. Ten hits, including three homers and three doubles. Nats did work five walks, did go three of ten with runners in scoring position. Some big hits in the latter stages of the game, but also some big hits, some big homers earlier in the game, including two homers by Ryan Zimmerman. He was the Nats' cleanup batter in each game in the series. He was the starting first baseman in each game in the series. And on Wednesday night, Zim, two for four with two homers and a walk. He had a one-out six-pitch walk in the top of the first, despite having been down to the count of 1.12. Had a one-out opposite field solo homer to right field in the top of the third. And had a two-run homer on a bomb to left field in the top of the fifth. Ryan Zimmerman had been struggling coming into this game 0 for 10 with five strikeouts over his previous four games. He ain't struggling no more. Two homers, really productive. He exits the game, Zimmerman does, with a slugging percentage of 590 on the year. The guy is slugging nearly 600. What a job by Zimmerman on Wednesday night. And both of the homers were like classic Zim homers, especially when he's going well. The first one, he's facing the lefty. And he gets a fastball up and away. And what does he do with that pitch? As we've seen many times over the years, he drives it to right field over the fence. He's still, he's still got the opposite field power ability to do that. So then the next time up, what's he get? He gets a slider down and in. And what does he do? He turns on it and blasts it to left field and pulls it. So the perfect example 
of a hitter who is locked in and what we've seen from him throughout his career when he's going well, that he can hit him to both directions like that, depending on where the pitch is placed. So that was fantastic. His home run rate is up over 7% this year, which is a career high. Now, you know, far fewer at bats and let's see how this plays out over a whole season. But for what they're asking of him, you could not have asked for anything more. I don't think he could have dreamed up a better first two months of the season in this reduced role that he's in. He repeated again after this game why he thinks he's successful because he's not playing as much. He thinks that's ultimately best for him and for the team. He knows everyone thinks he should play more. Not going to happen unless something happens to Josh Bell. But just another example that even at 36, Ryan Zimmerman can still carry this lineup amazingly. And I'll tell you what, between those two homers and the Soto homer in the first, a little behind the scenes stuff here, the first version of my game story that didn't see the light of day because too much happened later on was essentially saying, forget about situational hitting that we've been asking for, runners in scoring position. The Nationals have decided they're just going to hit the ball out of the park <laughs> and try to win that way. And they were in position to do that until everything had happened afterwards. But it's nice to know they do have that club in their bag sometimes if they need it. You can actually hit for power with runners on base and score runs in bunches. And that's what a lot of teams do now, right? That's kind of the idea behind the whole launch angle thing. You know, the heck with trying to go the other way and, you know, uh, manufacture runs, station to station baseball. You know, that's an 80s thing. Like now just hit the long ball and plenty of teams do it. The Nats, unfortunately, this season have not, but they did it at least early on in this game. You mentioned that Soto homer. You know, it's been a weird deal with Soto here lately. There are some games in which you say Juan Soto's back, you feel great about him. There are still other games here where he really doesn't look that great, but this was one of those games in which he looked good. One for four with a homer, two walks. Did strike out twice, but that home run was something else. One out, two-run shot to dead center in the top of the first. The homer going a projected 423 feet per stat cast. He also had a leadoff six-pitch walk in the Nats' two-run fifth and a leadoff intentional walk in the Nationals' two-run tenth inning. Boy, did that strategy backfire on the Rays. First of all, right, you're starting off the inning with the runner on base. Then Soto gets intentionally walked to begin the inning. How often does that happen, an intentional walk to begin an inning? And he gets walked so that the Rays can face Zimmerman, who's already homered twice in the game. <laughs> that, that You try to explain that to someone who didn't watch the game, it'd probably take an hour and a half to explain that. <laughs> now, Zim, they did get him out, although he advanced the runners up. So it was a productive out, which in that situation, that's good. You want productive outs. And that led to a great inning of actual run manufacturing the way you're supposed to do it <laughs> the old-fashioned 1980s way and I thought that was a great sequence for them but just with Soto real quick I think what we're seeing here is when he hits the ball to left field and center field he looks like Juan Soto it's when he's pulling the ball that's not there yet and he's still hitting it on the ground so maybe the idea here is take what they give you if they're going to give it to you out in the outer part of the plate hit it the other way be content with that and maybe eventually it'll come where he starts pulling the ball again so Maybe not all the way back, but certainly way more signs than we saw from him a few weeks ago. I think ultimately this was a successful uh, road trip for him. All right. I'm about to do something that I don't think I've done the entire year. I certainly have not done it often, and that is give credit to Starlin Castro. Oh, yeah. So first of all, Starlin Castro has been dropped in the batting order, and now he's in a more, I think, appropriate spot. Number eight batter was Castro in this series. Castro, though, on Wednesday night with not one but two hits, and one of the hits was an extra base hit that was a big hit in the game, a big RBI double by Starling Castro, a leadoff first pitch RBI double in the Nationals' two-run 11th, and that came off Diego Castillo. That's not an easy guy to hit off of. Castro getting the job done. That was a clutch hit by Castro. 
He also had a one-out single in the top of the second. Now, he did strike out on six pitches with runners on second and third and two outs in the top of the third. And he did have that bizarro strikeout on four pitches with a runner on first and two outs in the top of the eighth. Just like flinging his bat, uh, it ended up bouncing off the mound. Obviously, he didn't mean to do that, but uh, the bat went flying as he swung. It would look like a breaking pitch, a swing and miss for strike three. But that was a big ribby double by Castro in this game. It was. That eighth inning strikeout, though, I tweeted at the time, it feels like at times Starlin Castro was just throwing his bat at the ball. <laughs> and this time he literally did. He literally threw his bat at the ball and did not work out. But we'll forget about that one. Good night for him. That double, he went into it with a plan. He's looking for a fastball early in the count, got it on the first pitch and attacked it. He almost hit it out of the park. It just went off the top of the wall to left field. So we've heard Davey talk about the need to be aggressive against fastballs early in the count and take a good solid swing at it. You know, you don't, you don't have to just fling your bat and try to poke it the other way. Like if you get the right pitch, go for it. So I thought that was good of him to make that adjustment and do that. And as far as him hitting eighth, I mean, it's what struck me about this lineup in this game is that Schwarber, Bell, and Castro, three guys who for good chunks of the season have actually been their three, four, and five hitters, not in that order, but those three guys, three, four, and five were actually hitting six, seven, eight in this game. That gives the lineup a whole different look (laughs) when those guys are hitting at the bottom of it and maybe ultimately that is better for them. So nice job by Castro in that spot. And I want to go back to the 10th. I thought, again, I I started to write a lead to my story where I was complimenting this and it wound up being a footnote because they blew it and had to go the 11th. But I thought Jan Gomes at bat to give him the lead in the 10th was outstanding. 0-2 pitch, a slider down and away, and he did exactly what you're supposed to do. Stick the bat out, poke it to right field, drive in the run. I just thought that was such a good quality at bat in that situation from him and exactly what they've been asking for, what they've needed. And then the at bat following that Schwarber, now facing a lefty, one out and a runner on third, get the ball in the air. He hits it to left field, drives in the run for the insurance run, which proved important. Finally, it took all night and it's taken weeks for this to happen, but there were a bunch of good quality at bats in key moments late in this game. There were. Uh, It was a good night, all things considered, for the offense. Facing a raised team with a bullpen that has a bunch of guys who most people have never heard of, but a bullpen that is so good and a bullpen that has so many late inning high leverage options. I mean, the Rays to me are just masterful in the way they do things. With Gomes, that was a great plate appearance. You're totally right about that. It was A mixed night for Gomes from a standpoint of the Nats had a hard time controlling the running game. I'm not saying that's all Gomes' fault, but he did have that throwing error and trying to throw out Taylor Walls on his stolen base in the bottom of the fourth. Rays went three of three on runners trying to steal in the game. And with the lineup, I mean, you know, we've joked about this throughout the year because it's true. Davey never sticks with the same lineup two consecutive games. Kyle Schwarber was the leadoff batter in game one of this series, was back to being the number six batter in game two of the series. Okay, I guess we're just not going to stick with that. But Castro has been dropped, which, again, I think is appropriate. Josh Bell dropped down to number seven in this game. You know, I don't know if that's a one-game thing or not, but uh, that certainly stood out. So notable to see those things. That's the thing, though, with this offense, man. I mean, it's not good. No one's saying that. It is good. But it's nice to know that at least occasionally you can see a a professional output from this lineup. That, That was a professional output. Three home runs, some good situational hitting, some clutch hitting, late in the game, doing well against one of the better bullpens in baseball. Like, that's a big boy performance by the Nationals offense on Wednesday night. And yet, and yet, there was a long, prolonged stretch in the middle of this game between the early home runs 
and the late quality at bats where they looked helpless against the Tampa Bay bullpen. At one point, it was 11 of 20 batters struck out against the Rays bullpen. Now, the Zim home run, the second home run was in there, which followed the, the Soto walk right in front of it. But other than that, they did nothing from the fourth through the ninth innings. They wound up striking out 18 times in this game, which I believe was the most in any major league game yet this year by anybody. So (laughs) it's still a struggle to sustain this inning by inning throughout the course of a game. Yeah, the final output was nice and they did it a few different ways, but boy, they're still capable of going through these stretches where they do nothing, can't even put the bat on the ball. Yeah, no doubt. 18 Ks, way too many, although at least you didn't have double plays. We've seen too many double plays, I feel like, from this Nationals offense this season as well. All right, before we get to what's next for the Nats, I do want to note this, and of course, it's never all good, even when the Nationals win, but the Steven Strasburg update from Davey Martinez on Wednesday is not good. No, he's uh, he's shut down. He's doing uh, part of some lower body exercises, but other than he's not doing any throwing yet. Davey in his pregame Zoom press conference revealing that Strasburg isn't even throwing, has been restricted to lower body exercises, and the team isn't sure what is going on with him. He has this nerve irritation in his neck. Davey said that there's a good chance that Strasburg will be seeing another specialist. Look, when he got put back on the 10-day injured list, we we both agreed, you know, after the All-Star break minimum in terms of when he's back, this, I think, basically cements that. And now it's like, when is he going to be back? Is he going to be back this year? It's it's concerning, man. They don't know what's going on with him and why he has this nerve issue with the neck. Well, I wasn't surprised by what he told us because I think, like you said, we've sort of suspected they're not going to put him back out there until they do know what's going on, until they feel like they've had a chance to fix it. So it reminds me somewhat of 2018 when he dealt with what I think is a similar issue. We never really found out exactly what, and we haven't found out exactly what this time. Let's point out here that Strasburg has not spoken to us since his second to last start. So it's hard to really know because we can't ask him, what are you feeling? How does this compare to what you've had in the past, et cetera, et cetera? We have to just kind of go off of what Davey tells us and what we can surmise ourselves. So I think that this is ultimately they need to figure out what it is that's causing. And I think all these things are connected, the shoulder, the neck, the back, whatever it all is. I think it's all connected. Something is causing him to not feel right, to lose the velocity, to not trust his mechanics to the point that he's falling off the mound. And maybe that then leads also to the decreased velocity. You hope that it's not anything major. And I think they would know by now, given the MRIs and everything else they've done, they would know if he had a torn labrum or some other major structural injury going on in his arm. So it's not that, it's more these nagging things. You have to try to find a way to figure out how do you treat it. Now, it looked pretty bleak in 2018 when he was going through this. And that was essentially a lost year for him. I think he made 22 starts, came back at the end. But then look what it led to in 2019, okay? Best season of his career. Now, I'm not saying that's guaranteed to happen here, whether it's later this year or next year, but given what we've seen from him in the past and given the fact that it doesn't appear to be any kind of major structural, surgical thing that he needs, that maybe there at least is some reason to believe that if they can figure it out and treat it, that this isn't a, an all hope is lost kind of situation. I hope not. Because that is a big matzo ball. Seven years, $245 million. They better figure out a way uh, to make this work moving forward. Well, next up for the Nationals is an 11-game homestand. It's going to be special, full capacity being allowed at Nationals Park. you got some big games over the course of this homestand, including the initial series 
The Nats are about to begin a four-game series against the major league-leading San Francisco Giants. Raise your hand if you expected that. A third of the way into the year, the Giants, who just a few years ago were a mess, are the best team in baseball as we speak. San Francisco is 38-23 and 23 on the year, has a run differential of plus 74. You got a four-game set Thursday through Sunday, although I know the weather forecast isn't great for Thursday. Uh, Nat starting pitchers in the series, Max Scherzer for Thursday, TBA for Friday, more on that in a bit, Joe Ross on Saturday, John Lester on Sunday. We believe that Eric Fetty will be the guy on Friday, but a big homestand. Hopefully you get a bunch of people back out at the ballpark and an opportunity here, if you believe in teams being better at home than on the road, for the Nationals to maybe just maybe start to pick up some wins. Not going to be easy, though. The Giants are a really good team. They are a surprisingly good team and a team that, you know, I've been thinking that the current version of the Nationals might be starting to resemble the post-World Series version of the Giants, who, look, they won three in five years. And then they kind of tried to keep that core group together for a little bit longer, and it didn't work out. And all of a sudden, they had some aging veterans on a team that was in rebuilding mode. So, you know, let's see how this all plays out. we got a long way to go until we know that. But now the Giants are finally turning that corner again and becoming competitive. Max Scherzer starting the opener, I think, is really important, given how much the bullpen had to work, (laughs) not just on Wednesday, but in all the games leading up to it. They desperately need innings from Max if they play on Thursday. That is a question whether they'll be able to play. So it starts with that. As far as the crowds go, I'm really interested to see. I know it's 100% capacity allowed. I am not necessarily expecting the crowds to be that big right away. I think a combination of maybe the weather not being great, the fact that I know the Giants are kind of a big name team, but maybe not quite as big as, say, the Mets who come in the following weekend. The fact the team hasn't been playing all that great as we know up to this point. And then I still do wonder how many fans are fully embracing the idea of sitting in a ballpark with 40,000 people in close proximity. I know a lot of people have been vaccinated. Uh, The rules are if you have been vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask and all that. So I hope that we do start to see it getting back to normal. But I would not be surprised if this is more a gradual process. And if ultimately we see crowds, you know, in the 20,000 range, these first few days over the weekend before maybe ultimately later on this summer picking up. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Uh, I, I think, though, the season the Nats are having may be the bigger factor here than even the pandemic. Just because it's been a bad season so far, the Nats have not been a particularly exciting team. Um, in a lot of ways, they haven't been a very interesting team. Like They're interesting to talk about because there's a lot of things happening with the Nats from both a micro and macro perspective, and we've obviously covered all that on the podcast, but yeah, I mean, there just hasn't been a lot of juice so far for this national season. I, I mean, I really hope that changes. Doing well in this homestand would help to change that because, like you said, four games against the Giants, and then you have four games against the Mets. So it's a big homestand in that regard. Now, sandwiched in between are three games against the lowly Pirates. So uh, it, it, it's a weird thing. 11 games, too. You're not, we're not used to seeing that in terms of the duration uh, of a homestand here. But Max Scherzer will pitch on the homestand, will pitch in this series. We know that. And he's been excellent so far this season. Interesting comp you make with the Giants and the Nats. I think there's a lot of validity to that. I thought also with the Philadelphia Phillies and how they tried to keep that thing going for a while and it just didn't happen. That's always such a dangerous place to be in for a baseball team where it's like the party's over and everyone knows it except you and you keep trying to keep it going. And it's like, it's no longer worth it to keep it going. Like, it's time to pull the plug and reset. And the Nats have had that feeling this season that they're at that point. We'll see, you know. Uh, These next few weeks, I think are going to be telling. 
uh, in that regard. But what's encouraging about the Giants is they really looked to be in a bad way just a few years ago, and they've been able to retool very quickly. You know, the Giants went all in on analytics with Farhan Zaidi and with Gabe Kapler as a manager. And all of a sudden here, I mean, the Giants in the toughest division in baseball have the best record in baseball. That's really something else. Nobody was talking about them. The NL West going into the season was how great is the race going to be between the Dodgers and the Padres? Nobody mentioned the Giants. And now look what they're doing against those teams. It's going to be fun to watch that all play out. But it also, and I think we've mentioned this maybe a few weeks ago, and it's even more so now because they're continuing it, their play. It's going to prevent anybody from the Central or the East winning the wild card, potentially, if all three of those teams make it. And so it means that if you're the Nationals, you have to win the NL East if you're going to make it to the playoffs. Now, they got a long way to go. They can't think about that right now. They got to even just try to get to 500 before they even consider anything like that. But there isn't necessarily going to be that fail safe of, oh, well, maybe you get to the upper 80s and you're in a wild card race. No, that doesn't look like that's going to happen this year, not unless one of those three teams out west falls apart. And it doesn't look like any of them are going to. No, the hope is that upper 80s may win the National League East uh, with the way the division has gone so far this season. We shall see. Well, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can always email the podcast to NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Full capacity at Nationals Park upcoming. What better way to announce your arrival at Nationals Park with full capacity than with a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt? Get yours by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. The 1-1. This one cracked in the air to right field deep. This one's got a chance. Back goes Margot to the wall, and it is gone. Four rows in. Ryan Zimmerman goes opposite field to straightaway right and ties the ball game with his seventh home run of the year. Nationals three, Rays three. Career homer, 277. The Nats all-time leader, Ryan Zimmerman. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.